Hello, I'm Catherine and you're listening to The Thoughtful Runner. You'd be forgiven for thinking from the title that this episode was going to be about autumn. It should be, really. It's been quite a majestic one. But instead, this episode is about moving through another sort of fall. The fall in falling apart. Imagine everything you have as a series of magical floating balls. These are the balls of many colours and sizes that represent your world, your people, your identity, your future, your places, your plans, the things you do. They are there all before you like a Tom Cruise sci-fi movie, except with more balls. They're all there just floating magically as you pick one out, move it, put it back, then suddenly add gravity to that picture. And with that weight comes the most disastrous effect because the balls begin a sickening, musical descent towards the ground. Pause there upon that image. Not the point when all the balls have hit the ground, but at the moment where you realise they're falling and there's nothing you can do, you can't see where they've landed and it's too soon to start putting things back into place. I want to talk about that moment of crisis where everything seemingly goes into slow motion, where you have no choice but to observe your beautifully orchestrated magical everything tumble. And silly metaphors aside, when you lose something important and something fundamental to your world, the crisis point can be slower, less dramatic and more painful because of what then happens in your mind. So that long after the fall or event you remain frozen in a state of horror or shock. Even when you know things are going to be alright, perhaps you can't feel it. So what do you do here but stare outwards and wait for stillness to return? You can't sleep. You can't eat. You can't find respite from reality. So, in those situations, I run. And walk. And just move. There's some sort of balance between mind and body, so that, in times of distress, the one can be a comfort to another. And so, when the mind is stuck, the body seeks to be free. Run at it. That's my instinct. Run towards it. Fight. Annihilate. Overpower. Whatever. Just taking action when you feel powerless. When you're dragged into the mud, just roll in it. It seems destructive, but it brings a sort of relief. Acceptance, maybe. Last week, my world took a tumble, and it's all entirely different now. I'm in a new location. I feel like a different person. I'm already beginning to pick through the debris of my life and find nice things. Things I'd forgotten about. I found this podcast amongst it, by the way. Hello, you. But last week was a low point. The lowest. And the point where everything seemed to still be falling. I was unable to escape this conflicting sense of paralysis that accompanied a racing mind. So I put on my running shoes and I stepped out into the evening. On that first run it it should have been very difficult but instead it was a no stakes one. I was aware that I hadn't eaten enough or anything. And my ankle was giving me pain. But all the usual physical symptoms were just arbitrary observations in this state of otherworldly angst. It was getting towards dusk. And in this season of mist, there's nothing quite so fitting and magical to complement an inner tragedy than a dusk light. I ran up the silent road, past grass verges and splendid carpets of leaf litter, and found myself on the outskirts of the woodland and fields I walked in as a child. In recent weeks, these peaceful fields have been levelled by developers, so before me lay this barren, muddy expanse. There is a stark, cuboid sales office here, a tall, boring machine and various other plant vehicles. I don't really know what they do. 
all the workers had got in their vans and driven off home through the night, leaving tyre tracks in the mud. And I was feeling, as I mentioned, very low, so I paused my run to indulge in yet more sadness and picked my way through the darkening woodland to stand at the wire fence that they've put up around the perimeter of what once was fields. The light was fading fast, and it wasn't really the sort of time to be bashing about in the woods, but I had no fear, no stakes, nothing to lose. At least I thought so then. I recall the night my sister came home from walking the dog here sometime in the 1990s, before mobile phones. She found a man had hanged himself. I thought about that then. Just a few yards away, a lonely widower had dressed in a tweed suit and set off to make this spot and this vista his final resting place. The tree still stands. I thought about the peaceful sadness of that lonely man and his methodical stepladder. His wife gone, he'd drawn a line underneath this world. Said to himself, that's enough, and chosen this spot and these fields as his last view upon our living verse. And yet the world keeps on. The fields, like everything, like the spot you're sitting in right now, will one day be gone or changed or unrecognisable, but for some unseeable feeling of the place, perhaps just the shadows of spirits that once lingered here. And doubtless upon this former scene, in the grotty homes they build here, children like you or I will be raised and will perhaps look backwards to what remains of the woods as their holy vista. I was thinking along these nihilistic lines when I noticed threaded between the fretwork of the fences was a spider web laden with moisture and a perfect little arachnid at the heart of it against this barren backdrop. Because I forgot to say, up until this point, that it's actually rather morbidly beautiful when things fall apart. The same as when you see a building demolished, a flower die or a glass smash, there are fractals of absolute beauty to be observed at every level. And funnily enough, Although I had told myself there was nothing to lose, I turned around and thought I saw a man looming in the dusk. In a moment, my heart had leapt into my mouth, and I was ready to run to safety, run for my life. Perhaps I had some stakes in this world after all, I thought sheepishly, as I passed the offending gatepost. Because it's entirely possible to feel that pain won't pass whilst knowing entirely that it will. For the same reason, I politely said hello to the dog walkers and suits on their way home from work as I continued on my run. If I truly thought my life was over, then I probably would not have wasted the breath. But the force of propriety remains strong, which is a good sign. Other people can carry you along when you have no motivation yourself. Society may be a great way to draw yourself out of a bad place, but time with nature is also truly soothing. Just being outside lifts the spirits. I've stood in the garden in the darkness countless times this week, just looking upwards to the clouds and hoping to see a shooting star, a sign but lucky to find any consolation peeking through the shifting sheets of weather. Outside of the city, the autumn air is so ripe and the colours so alarming they seem to doubt their own existence. Even on the wettest, greyest day, I watched a green woodpecker digging for worms in my parents' lawn and two fat male pheasants rumpling their glorious plumage against the drizzle. The garden plants are still going here. Pink, pom-pom dahlia, clematis stem and fuchsia, fading and wilting against a backdrop of turning greens and yellows. Fiery ash and the earthy turning oak foregrounded by the elegant, otherworldly reds and purples of a coatiness. As soon as I got back here, I planted the rose cuttings that have sat on my kitchen counter for a long while fading. They probably won't make it, but the feeling of compost under my nails was the perfect antidote to a broken heart. Nature always rushes to greet you in times of sadness, because when you're so unavoidably low and subject to roving emotions, you're also unavoidably animal. For the past week, 
My parents' dog and little sister's cat, who's staying, have steadfastly remained at my side. From the moment the bedroom door is open, piling into the room and onto my bed, and when I return there with a coffee in the morning, and all day beside me as I work. The staring is at times a little disconcerting. Indeed, as I was writing this, the cat came and sat purring warmly on my chest and computer keyboard. Yesterday, the dog was asleep next to me and then awoke and stared directly at my face for a long, long time. They can sense some sort of distress and they want to heal it. Of course, the dog might also just want to go for a walk. I can't run every day due to my ankle injury, so walking has been a great escape and the dog has been benefiting from it too. Animals are an excellent reminder of the need for levity in situations that feel rather grave. The dog was so distressed by a routine visit to the vet last week, I took her for a calming walk home, only to have her squat and deliver the most unpleasant package on the busiest road in town. I rifled through my pockets for the doggy bag and scooped up the contents. And ten seconds down the road she did it again. There I was, old, broken-hearted, adrift and on display in my hometown as I stooped to pick up the most vile doggy deposit. At that I laughed out loud. Thanks, dog, I said. Thanks for reminding me. You can always go lower. It'll be okay. Just keep moving.